Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the podcast. I am, of course, joined by Rian. That's, I guess, my new intro now. I've just come up with that as our new intro because <laughs> I don't have anything else. Um, welcome back, people. Happy Monday. Well, at least I'm wishing Rian a happy Monday because we're recording on a Monday. And I, for some reason, just got a jolt of energy because um, I found out today that I get to see Rian in person for the first time in a minute. I'm going to be honest. I'm going to be honest. I owe Rian an apology. I've not been a good friend when it comes to seeing people in person, but, but he's off this week. And also I have free time. So um, I don't think there are any more excuses. (laughs) (laughs) No, no more. We'll we'll actually be trying to record in person for the first time in a couple of years. So that, yeah, that'll be a lot of fun. Well, no, no, first, no, no, not, I think not we did, in a couple no, no, of years. Couple, no, I would not say year. that. I forgot. I forgot that we did. Yeah, I think. Um, I think we were, we did one with Miguel like in last yeah. summer, like around the Euros. Yep, that, that's maybe the only time. So, yeah, yeah. that so, was for the second time in two years. <laughs> so, yeah, as COVID permits, apparently. Yeah. Um, and it's honestly, it's a little easier this way, which is, which is nice. But at the same time, like I remember when we first started you used to come over to my apartment because it was on the way home from work yeah. for you every week. And that was fun in the context of doing it in person. It was not fun doing it in that very small New York apartment, no. <laughs> which arguably just wasn't worth the price point. But oh, obviously, um, and almost never is. I mean, that's every. I mean, especially, apartment. especially like when you're kind of close to Midtown like that. <laughs> so true that's so true um i have my own gripes about murray hill so yeah yeah. well that's why i very quickly got out of there and not realizing what (laughs) i was getting myself into but um we're going down nostalgia road i think that's what you can call it and lo and behold rian and i have made it out of there alive but rian how's your weekend you um you unfortunately got to watch the union I, i i guess unfortunately i mean it's nice to see the union play but at the same time sheesh <laughs> it was a yeah it was a um definite pros and cons of that game of where like very frustrating one-on-one draw but at the same time i got to sit like on the field for maybe the only yeah, time tell i'll us, ever get the tell chance us how. to do that um <laughs> and it's our game uh so basically like my, my dad and i went to go watch this game and um we got there pretty early got into the stadium pretty early maybe like 40 minutes before the game started and uh we're lucky enough to have i think some people part of, a couple people part of the union's marketing department ask us if we wanted to sit on the field in exchange for basically um like advertising a energy drink for like 10 to 15 seconds while we were, <laughs> while we were on the jumbotron and uh we, we did that like right before the game started had the mascot sit on my lap i forgot to mention that earlier <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait yeah. that's that yeah. seems to be the actual news <laughs> mascot sat on my lap um and then and then we got to stay there for the entire game and a little i should have known this but obviously all the food and drinks if you're sitting on the field like that catered totally free so like we, <laughs> we didn't pay for a single thing and uh it was that was a really cool experience so that's a that's that's a silver line i'll take out of a frustrating game 
I was telling Rian before we started recording, that's essentially reparations, um, depending on how you want to look <laughs> at it, of course. Um, honestly, that's just not a smart trade deal from a marketing standpoint, but I mean, it got you to do the thing, so I can respect it. Um, and I'm I think sure everyone, would. like there were other people that sat on the field too, and I'm guessing all of them actually paid for their tickets down there. So Definitely. I think, <laughs> I think we were probably the only ones who didn't pay for those tickets. Yeah, they pay the tax. That's that's fine. Don't worry about it. You don't have to pay the tax. <laughs> you get honorary treatment. But um, I'm happy that you at least got to do that in a very frustrating game. Um, I guess it, it's, there's a phrase for that in psychology, um, and I'm forgetting what it is, where you it, you get unexpected wins. Like when you go and get like upgraded to first class or something on a plane. Mm. I forget what the phrase is. I should know it as that was part of my minor. But I, I digress entirely. Disappointing. Um, I know. I know. My, my professors <laughs> would not be not be happy but we move on to more important things rian let's talk about football let's talk about european football what you are all are so diligently listening to us uh wanting to talk about and uh rian has decided that we will not start with the game that probably will provide the most rants from me but will <laughs> probably provide the most rants from him which is also not a bad thing uh the merseyside derby that's where we're going to start the last game of kind of the big games of the weekend in the premier league Liverpool defeating Everton 2-0 at home. Slippery slope for Frank <laughs> Lampard and Everton right now. Um, I think it was largely helped on by the fact that Burnley defeated Wolves 1-0. Um, that's, I believe, seven points in three games since Sohan Daesh was sacked. I I don't know how I feel about that stat reading so positively in, in the decision to sack him. Um, but even better next, they play, I believe, is it Watford? Watford next. Uh, a team that is also, I think, probably pretty firmly in the relegation zone at this point after, quite honestly, I didn't think it was a terrible performance against City. Uh, I watched most of that game. Obviously, it could have been better, but... Um, Nah, my, dad said just... the, my dad kind of said the same. Uh, he, he was saying, like, even when Wofford were down a couple goals, like, they were still... They were creating chances. They are still going for... Yeah, yeah, they are still creating. Well, you know, I think, I think that was largely aided by the fact that there's this very specific position that Watford decided to uh, attack very diligently, um, in which <laughs> a specific player who was out to injury was not playing in. Hmm. Of course, I'm talking about Kyle Walker in the right back position, which uh, I believe 75% of Watford's attacks went down that left-hand channel. Um, that is not a coincidence. We will see very clearly tomorrow how Real Madrid probably exploit that through Vinicius. Um, and I'm very, very interested to see how that goes. But let's focus back on the Merseyside Derby round. Um, can you help me understand what happened in this game in the first half? Because I thought that first half was actually one of Everton's better halves in their last, let's call it five or six games. Yeah, it was definitely like their most secure defensively um, performance, right? And it's because they really went to about as basic as it could go. And, and they played they played like a team that's fighting for like fighting to not be relegated right where the time wasting started so so early um they they basically played route one every time they got the ball i think the the stats from alan who had only two completed passes in the entire in his uh i think it was like 75 minutes or so 
of playing and both of his completed passes were on the kickoffs. <laughs> I think he had like six attempted passes throughout the, his entire time on the pitch. <laughs> but it, I mean, it just showed you what their their plan was. It was it was a lot of just a defender playing it directly to up front to either Richarlison or Anthony Gordon. Like, and we saw like a few times that Everton were able to find space, right? And and we saw a couple different potential penalty incidents for for Gordon. One of them. Well, let's, let's talk. Dive. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about those yeah. individually because I think the interesting part of this, and I think what's adding to this narrative, is that Liverpool haven't conceded a penalty in over a year, right? And so, I think when you look at those two specific incidents, one was pretty pretty obviously a a dive, right? <laughs> I, I don't think we're really arguing that. I'm curious what you think about the one that people are saying probably should have been a penalty um thoughts yes it, no I, I feel like this all this, this happens i feel like a few times a game not not necessarily this exact type of challenge but a challenge where you look at it on the face of it and i, I don't know usually one of my first few thoughts when i see the fouls like this is like, if that's 15 yards further away from goal like that's if that's outside the box we were all expecting a foul to be called there, but yeah. because we know just, I mean, we, we know what the probability is of scoring a penalty kick. We know how, what a foul in the box, no matter where it is, or even when it seems like, I mean, Gordon's not really going to do anything else in that move there, right? Like he gets, he does get pushed over, but he's not, we don't expect him to score from that position anyway, No, but, no, the, no. but we do think that's a foul and we think that a foul should and a foul is a penalty kick there. But what I think these refs have in their mind is, okay, it's in the penalty box. So it's gotta be, it's gotta be absolute for it to lead to such a high chance of scoring. Right. And that's kind of this, that's the weird, that's the weird dichotomy we have with these. And it's, and it leads to a lot of these like really annoying instances <laughs> like this, where you're like, this is definitely a foul. <laughs> And at the same time, the the reasoning that that anyone on the other side will give is that oh, it's not enough to be a penalty, <laughs> right? It's, it's the, right. Which is which is a weird definition when you yeah. think about the context of a foul, right? Um, a penalty by the letter of the law should just be a foul inside the box, period. Like that, it's supposed to be black and white, but it so clearly is not because the consequences are higher. But I don't want to focus on just that potential missed penalty i want to talk about leading into the second half right i feel like liverpool were frustrated a majority of the first half i thought mosala could not get enough touches on the ball i think that was largely because of the fact that everton employed a tactic of just spray the ball anywhere or to anthony gordon and pray um and it seemed to work what do you think changed in the second half I mean, funny enough, like, <laughs> what led to the, the first goal was Divac Arivgi getting <laughs> in behind and, and, and kind of holding the ball up, doing like kind of a normal, not a normal target center forward stuff and, and creating the space for, I, I can't quite remember. I think it was, I think it might've been um, Alexander Arnold who had the assist on the goal, but I, I could be wrong on that. Um Thought anyway, it was Diaz, but maybe okay, okay. No, no, no. But I, I'm not remembering right now, so <laughs> someone will have to fact check us. But either way, creating the space 
for um, the assist maker there to play it over to Robertson, who, you know, as we expect with these Liverpool fullbacks to be in the box almost as much as possible, and especially getting to the back post like that. And it really just was it that adjustment there, bringing on Origi and, and Origi kind of doing something that, that none of the other Liverpool attackers are more are comfortable doing at least um and, and he's kind of just provided a really good target for them against that really really low 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 block at Everton and just two banks of four and um a lot of times having 10 players behind the ball it, it, they just made it as difficult as possible and in the end that that's about as well as they I, I don't think that's as well as they could have played but but in this form where they're at right now, that's about as much as they could have, ex- as much freedom as they could have expected at Anfield, right? Yeah, and, and actually just fact-checking, uh, Mo Salah was the one who assisted Robertson technically on the first Option one, so. C. Uh, yeah, seriously. Um, I, I think you make some some interesting points. I, I do think that at some point in that, that game, Jurgen Klopp realized that I feel like some combination of Origi and Diaz when they came on at the same time provided Liverpool with way more direct play through the middle, like that kind of stereotypical center forward plays through Origi and also the ability to create more width with Luis Diaz versus Salah, who's a little bit more of an inverted player, inverted winger. And I think it gave Liverpool a lot more space to kind of clear out the middle because it was jam packed through that like even Tiago was playing balls out wide for a majority of that first half because there was no space through the middle credit to Everton for that bringing in I think Origi created at least one more additional player of separation to drag defenders out of the way to create space for Robertson to create space for Diaz and it just gave them more width and it stretched the pitch a little bit more um and I thought I mean you saw that in the first goal you saw it again the second goal like that's exactly what I think Jurgen Klopp was probably thinking exactly what happened um I I don't think we should be surprised that Liverpool won this game I think you probably want to make a point about kind of the monetary aspect of this game uh or of these teams rather than than of these games um especially because I think there's an interesting narrative there um, is there anything you want to share with, with our listeners about spending habits of clubs? Just for the record, Rion did, he wrote a wonderful, wonderful piece about, it. he didn't know I was going to plug him for this, but he w- wrote a wonderful piece, piece about Lester um, about a year ago in the subscription. You can certainly subscribe to our newsletter, The Underlap, um, about how money kind of defines a, pl- a team, but enlighten me. Yeah, I, I think if you kind of try to compare even those two teams between Leicester and Everton, the spending that's been done there in the last five years, I think we've talked a lot about how um, Leicester's scouting has been really, really good. And it's been c- completely the opposite on Everton's side. Just like looking at the two teams going into this game, Liverpool spent less money than Everton in, in the last six years. Everton has spent over 600 million pounds, while at the same time, Liverpool are getting more of a return back for their players as well, with, with Everton's net spend being almost 200 million pounds more than Liverpool's. 
the sheer amount of money that's going into a team that is so close now to being relegated. They've got what five games left in this season? Six, six games off actually. Six, yep. Six games left. They're firmly, firmly in relegation now after Burnley has Burnley obviously being held back from Sean Dyche for years now. And <laughs> then me, the tactical genius over there, getting getting these performances out, out of Burnley where you know they're actually look playing well in these games and three games, seven points, and they play in uh, like you said, Wofford, who's who's pretty much going down now. This is this is a failure on like such another level. Yeah. When is we yeah. talk about Everton, right? A team that's never been relegated from the first division. Well, at the same time, as I said, with those spending numbers, spending more than 75% of the league. Yeah. Really, in this in these last six years. It's it's really like it's I, I don't know. It's it's really I, I, I find it hard to find words for it. At least like how much of a top to bottom failure this would be for Everton to go down in yeah. the position that they're at. Or mind you, they they have a stadium, a new stadium being built that is supposed to be ready in the next couple of years. And yeah. if its first season is being played in the championship, I mean just I I don't know. We, we've been we've been hearing a bit more about independent regulators for, for football clubs <laughs> in England, and um, and and trying to save talk, talk about an argument spending, for it, like crazy spending, like like and just unsustainable spending. Like here's a great case study: the last six years of, of Everton, um, getting all of that money from the pre- from being a Premier League team and just spending foolishly and doing it and making foolish decisions outside of that or through all of it so. seriously seriously well one last question that's not everton related before we move on to the next game um in basically 60 seconds or less and i will time you what do you expect from liverpool's upcoming game against villarreal in the semifinals uh coming up this wednesday i think i'm very excited for it for the non-english <laughs> reason of course but 60 seconds or less, go for it. I'm expecting a really, really similar game to what probably Liverpool saw against Everton, but with a team that is much, much better at counterattacking, <laughs> basically. Like a team yeah. that, is, that will be at worst as organized as, as Everton were, but offer so much more of a fluid threat on the counterattack because they can handle pressure very well. Like, playing out of pressure with the ball and and um i'm expecting i'm expecting the game to go not too dissimilar um than the games again that villarreal had against Bayern. but obviously what's the difference between liverpool and Bayern, as we talked about before is that liverpool have better 1v1 defenders and that's really going to be where um villarreal are going to have to make it count is in 1v1 situations yeah i love that analysis you also did that in under a minute i'm very impressed so um (laughs) completely agree with that I don't want to ruin it too much because we'll talk about middle of this week when Rihanna and I get together in person, but let's move on to the next kind of big game as it relates to the title race and the top four Manchester city uh, beating Watford five to one. Um, I, I don't know about you. I don't think you have, but 
Ben Foster, Watford's goalkeeper, has a, a growing in popularity YouTube channel now. And I've started to watch a couple of his videos, also like hits around with some well-known English YouTubers. And he's a very likable guy. And so when I started watching this game, I was like, oh, you know what? I kind of hope Watford to get something out of this game or at least have some, you know, dignity to go out of this game with. Um, I, 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 this was tough to watch after a certain <laughs> point. I mean, like I said at the beginning, Watford didn't play poorly. I, I kind of firmly believe that. I just think Manchester City were that good uh, in this game. I truly believe that Manchester City just dominated in every aspect. <laughs> it was not close in that sense. Um, Jesus scoring a hat trick and more um, just to seemingly bolster his transfer value <laughs> over when he <laughs> makes it to Arsenal this summer. Um, I guess the one thing that I took away from this Rian was just how important squad depth is to Pep Guardiola. Right. I, I think that that's a recurring theme that you see with Jurgen Klopp. It's a recurring theme that you see with, obviously pep um but the the biggest teams and the most successful teams have a lot of depth so i guess my question there is do you think that pep is gonna miss jesus if and when he leaves city this summer yeah that's that's kind of like the the underrated part of of i think jesus's role in this team where like we all know that he's that their best 11 probably doesn't involve him right but We've not, we've seen him play two to three different positions on this team over his time at City. We've seen him play on, in every position on the in the front three, right? And and we've seen him have a lot of success. I think this this season at, on the right wing, um, past seasons being like being like really really useful as like kind of like a counter, not a counter. Uh, it's kind of like a uh, link up false nine at times for City. That's kind of what draw city and liverpool above everyone else that's what that's what's made them i think so um i mean uncatchable not unbeatable but uncatchable over a full season over the last four five years and i just wonder like for a guy that has played in his last three seasons for city 60 percent of the possible minutes in 2019 20 and the 2020 21 season and then this season he's played over half of the possible of the maximum minutes that he could play in the premier league you know that that's that's still something that they've got to replace this summer, right? Um, having like that, I mean, I know they feel like a lot of their um, attacking players can play anywhere, right? But this is still losing a a depth option there. And if he goes, and I think if Rian Mares, who we've seen some rumors of potentially going as well, you know, those are still two really important pieces that they've got to, um, they've got to, shore up in the summer right and that's definitely that's kind of that'll affect them for next season that's not it's not an issue for this season of course but we've talked about how close the margins are at the top especially between them and liverpool now and and that could not having someone that they can rely on when there is one or two of their attackers who are either out of form or injured in the way they've been able to rely on gabriel jesus like that's going to be crucial for them going into next season. Yeah. And the interesting thing about all of this, right. Is as we kind of hear reports of Erling Holland agreeing to terms and Dortmund um, or Man City paying out Dortmund for Holland's release clause. I think the interesting part of that 
is that Erling Holland has played almost the same percentage of matches as Gabriel Jesus over the last two seasons, not because he hasn't been selected, obviously, but because of injury. And when you think about it in the context of squad depth and having all your players available, especially for Pep, I think there's an important consideration there, right? If you do lose Gabriel Jesus, yes, you obviously get an incredible talent in um, early Holland. How often can you use him? I, I don't know how much of a question that obviously it is a question in, in, you know, Pep's mind and um, something that will have to be considered. I just, I don't know if they have all the answers yet. Yeah. Uh, and look at, Holland coming in will be, you're talking about a first team option. Someone's going to be expected to play um, the starting 11 of um, almost every game that he's fit for. So yeah, that's, that's something that's going to be potentially a big boost to their starting 11. It's really like what happens as he said in those, the possibility that he is injured for X percentage of the season they're, they'll be ready to play the, in the same way that they played in the last couple of seasons without a striker, of course. Yeah. But um, I just think that losing Mares and Jesus potentially, those are not easy guys to replace. No, no, not at all. Well, speaking of, I wouldn't call it replacements or even potential injuries, um, i.e. Kyle Walker, like we talked about, I want to shift focus very briefly towards the first leg that City have coming up tomorrow, at least at the time of recording. Against Real Madrid, Rian. Real Madrid play Manchester City in the Champions League semifinals. So what do you expect from the first leg against Madrid? I'm ex- I'm almost expecting a, a bit of a pep galaxy brain here because Walker's because no Walker and no Cancelo. Yeah. I think he's going to be very, very cautious of, as you touched on earlier, <laughs> the Vinicius threat. Madrid, as we saw in each of the last two rounds, they don't really have much care for attacking down the right side at all. They're, in general. Yes. Yeah, in general. And even with the, Kyle Walker, yes. Yes, yes. So like even, even if Kyle Walker was in the game, they, they would still be looking to go down the left the entire game. And that's... And that's going to be the strategy. And, and I wonder how much of Pep's lineup tomorrow is going to try to mitigate the threat on the, on the wings, but especially on um, City's right side. And so, so I'm, I'm expecting a lot of play to be down the right side of Manchester City and the left side of, of Real Madrid. And I expect Pep to almost go out of his way to, to protect it. I interestingly enough. So, are you saying that Pep is going to have a five-five nil? Is that that is no, no, no. Formation? Okay, no. <laughs> it's, just, it's just I'm interested to see how the midfielders that are played yesterday and where they are positioned. Um, yeah, off the ball. Got it. Got it. Yeah, yeah. I can totally see that. Totally see that. And I would say as well, I think that there will probably be in a additional like i i have a feeling that he's gonna go with a double pivot of some sort like Rodri fernandinho to, that's what we saw to, over to, against watford exactly exactly to to circumvent um i guess the the player advantage the number advantage that real madrid might have in midfield that's my that's my potential guess uh, or pondering one at least i don't want to spend too much time on it because we'll talk i'm sure we'll talk more about it on wednesday um 
But Rian, let's move on to the game that I'm so excited to talk about. Uh, Arsenal United, a game that was, what was it? I think it was 7.30 in the morning on Saturday, um, Eastern, Eastern time. Um, Rian, for the record, put in our notes a question around whether United should have at least gotten a point out of the game considering the overall their overall kind of I would call it a positive performance uh in the second half I'm really glad that you said should have instead of deserve to and I want to just really like take a second to acknowledge that difference because to me this is my at least hot take in in football there is no such thing as deserving a win I do not think that exists reason being if, if you deserve a win, you score a goal. Like that, that's how you deserve it. You deserve it by putting the ball in the back of that. The only reason where you should have deserved a win is where something was un, like a goal was not, was taken away from you when it shouldn't have been. Here, I think is a really good example of a team in United that should have scored more goals, probably during this game. We're talking about a game in which Ronaldo is offside by a margin of half a heel, right? Like there were a lot of things that were could have. So I bring it back to the focus of the question. Rian, do you think United should have at least gotten a point from this game or at the very least, I, I want to phrase this carefully, at least scored another goal? Uh, I, I think yes to both of those. Um... Agree with you. The first half, I mean, both halves were chaotic, right? We're, we're just really chaotic, and and the the first half, um, United couldn't quite put together the the final third execution to get themselves in position to to create the kind of chances that they did in the second half. So I think Arsenal would have felt like they played well enough to to have that advantage after the first half, but. You you add in the 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 miss penalty from Bruno. Um, we saw both him and and Jorginho miss in their trademark penalties this this weekend. Two different, two very different kinds. Very of yeah, yeah yeah. Very different types of misses. <laughs> but um, no, United obviously, like you said, yeah, offside by by a whisker for Ronaldo. Like, it sucks because that's an amazing finish, by the way, over your shoulder. <laughs> <laughs> and dead eye into the side netting um unfortunate for them but yeah it, it was a it was a really chaotic game overall right and um united of course couldn't get control of it and the thing that has kind of hampered them at times this season is the lack of a fi- like finishing really this season whereas like the last couple seasons has been completely different where we would have we've been saying like oh the thing that keeps them in every game is that they have so many good finishers and right it just hasn't really been the case this season and it's kind of easy to see that when you see that Marcus Rashford is his form has fallen off completely Bruno Fernandez at times playing like in the double pivot at other times being completely displaced of his usual spaces because of Cristiano Ronaldo and and being kind of typecast as this central midfielder, whereas you and I totally agree. He's, he's more like a, he's almost like a second striker and, and shouldn't be yeah. played like that. Yeah. Um, but 
he, yeah, he's not getting to the same positions as as before, and their finishing as a team is faltered because of it. Um, I think they're only barely above their XG this season, whereas the last few seasons they've been one of the most efficient teams in finishing in terms of goals to expected goals. That's- so almost an argument for saying that adding Ronaldo did what <laughs> to this team? <laughs> well, it kept his numbers up. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. No, without change, that's for sure. Uh, yeah, as and everybody else is, of course, declined. But yeah, I'm not. I'm not saying cause and effect. I'm. I'm just saying that it's an observation. It's an observation in which it, <laughs> the overall team structure has just decreased astronomically, which was which is seriously saying something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and and, and it's, I know it's so easy for us to rag on on Ronaldo. Um, and and look, we will get to we'll touch briefly on you know Arsenal side of this. Of course, they they played <laughs> they they played well enough to win that game. But um, it was just like Ronaldo's more exacerbated the the holes in this team. Not that he he's not created any new ones. I, I promise you that. I don't believe that he's done that. I I totally, agree. He, I, I totally agree. he has just kind of <laughs> just emphasized the other holes in this team um, <laughs> be, because of just the just because of the way that he plays now and, and, and the lack of a fit that there is in this team that already is kind of lacking a playing, a defined playing style as is. Yeah. Yeah. No, I totally get that. I totally get that. I guess Rian, let's move on past Arsenal United because I think we both agree Arsenal and Spurs and their top four position is not going to be solidified until they play each other in the, the delayed North London Derby. But this was a massive, massive, massive boost um, for them. Obviously, and this is kind of a good, really good segue into into Spurs, drawing nil-nil against Brentford on Saturday, the same day that Arsenal played. Is this Spurs' second game or second game in a row, I believe, with no goals? You are correct. Sir. Okay. okay. <laughs> you are correct. I was just, I was looking at, I was, I honestly, I partially couldn't believe that that was the case when I was looking at their schedule. Um, well, they, of course they lost to Brighton in their last game. Yeah. The, the two no loss to Brighton. And can I just no. add one thing to that? Yeah. They're two games before that against Villa and Newcastle. They scored a com- combination of nine. So their average over four games is still pretty good. That's <laughs> 2.25 goals a game. <laughs> yeah, no, that's fair. It's very good. Just have to widen. Just have to widen the the sample size. There, exactly. Right? <laughs> um, no, yeah, it's 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 uh, the most crucial point of their season at a time where Arsenal had Chelsea and Manchester United back to back, right? At a time where were, where you would have expected to pick up points just if you won your two games. Granted, that wouldn't have happened in this case because, you know, Arsenal put out two very good performances when they needed it the most, especially when um, missing some crucial players. Tottenham not missing, not really missing any crucial players in either of these two games, playing nine, nine of 11 or 10 of 11 of their, of their best starting 11 in each of these two games, put up two absolute stinkers in terms of attacking where they scores zero goals. They only have 15 shots within these two games with 
only having five against Brighton, if we remember the, the game that they put up zero shots on target. And combining for an XG of 1.1 over these two games, like that just not nearly um not nearly good enough to to win games in the Premier to win games against two well-organized teams like Brighton and Brentford, and especially two teams that offer their own um attacking questions for your defense hey and and it's just there's just never enough quality on this team to feel like they can put together a sustained run right and and i know that they did they did win they did win what was it like seven of nine before these last right that's that was gonna be my point it's like i i don't think this is a problem with that talent my 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 things that i almost went back to like the um Aston Villa game as well. We remember that they got totally outplayed for most of that game against Aston Villa, and their goals yeah. that came were basically off of like long balls and like like five pass attacks, very much like like a couple counter attacks and and then a couple like just long balls that fell nicely to their to Son and, and Kane. There's just not enough, I think midfield quality and i think we've talked about that with with tottenham we talked about with with a lot of these teams that are fighting for fourth right now the midfield quality is really lacking with almost all of them um but from tottenham specifically you know it's it's just they just don't they're not getting the ball up to their attackers easy enough right it's too it's too difficult at times um and they do really rely on things to go almost perfectly on these counterattacks and Look, because of Antonio Conte, they practice these. They practice these movements, and and more times than not, they're gonna um, they're gonna execute them because it's like in, ingrained as like the the patterns of attack. But you know, you still need things to go kind of perfectly on those attacks. And and I think what we've seen over the last couple of games, especially with Brighton and Brentford, is that they're not allowing like Cade and Son to get any space now on those counters. They're just, they're on them immediately as the ball goes up to them. And they just have to be more precise now. And and that's really difficult. Yeah, that's a good point. It's a good point. I didn't think about it that way. Um, I, I think Kane and Hungman Son are obviously the two players you can't really blame over the course of the season, just because, yeah. I mean, they have probably done everything that they could in, the, in their powers to, to yeah, put this team in contention for top four, that's a tough one. Like they have to be perfect. That's fine margins. That's a really, really good way to put it. Um, couldn't couldn't disagree more. But Rian couldn't disagree more. Couldn't couldn't agree more. God, I, <laughs> no, no. I, <laughs> it's give me a break. It's Monday, man. Anyway, all right. Let's talk about Chelsea. Um, I'm not going to lie. I was half asleep when I was watching. I only got a chance to watch like the last 10 minutes of this game for the, <laughs> for the first, I would say three to five minutes after Chelsea scored, which was again, a majority of the time between the end of regulation and added time. I thought it said <laughs> on my screen, cause I was so tired one nil to West Ham. And I was so confused why Chelsea were like <laughs> passing the ball around like they they were winning. And I eventually looked at the score at like the final whistle. And I was like, oh, rubbed your eyes a little bit. I rubbed my eyes. and I was like, oh, OK, that makes a lot more sense. Um, 
who knew American an American could come save the day, a la Captain America. Um, <laughs> what do you think about that win? How did you feel about Chelsea's performance overall? Actually, that's what I'm kind of curious about. Yeah, and then I want to I want to hear your point of view on very specifically. I hate to call out one specific player. Actually, I I love it, but let's talk about Jorginho in a second. So we'll start with overall performance. Start uh, late. over. Uh, Overall performance, the the first half felt a lot like a, a preseason friendly. Honestly, I think there was there West Ham didn't leave a lot of space. They rotated a lot of their first team players. No Michael Antonio, no um, Jared Bowen, no Declan Rice. Um, none of them started. Declan Rice and, and Jared Bowen end up coming on uh, in the second half as subs, but they didn't start any of them. And that's really for the first time this season that it seemed like they are actually thinking about the Europa League more than the Premier League right now. Um, that was Declan Rice's first game this season that he didn't start in the league. Uh, it, and they'd been, he'd been basically playing Monday, Thursday, or not Monday, but like weekend, Thursday, Sunday, the entire for like four straight weeks, pretty much. Um, so we, we definitely saw West Ham kind of just look to be really compact and not give away much. And they did a great job of doing that in the first half. And, and Chelsea didn't really, didn't penetrate nearly enough as they, as they need to, didn't move the ball quickly enough, I think. But second half was much, much better, I think, from Chelsea. And um, and they they end up getting the penalty kick in, in the end there. Uh, Lukaku draws it from Dawson, who was, just blocking like I think he might have had like five or six blocks in the game yeah I think Chelsea ended up with like 26 shots by the end of that game um he ends up fouling Lukaku like just tugging him back in the penalty box and red card and Junior comes on and you know he's had he's had some misses in the last like year probably like three or I think like four four four. yeah um this was definitely the worst of them like the, the one the one in the Euros I will I will say it was an actually amazing save from For from Pickford, Pickford yeah. honestly and then his couple against Switzerland one he just completely missed the net I think and then the other one was was saved by Sommer um but this one was the worst for sure because he just hit it kind of down the middle um and, and look it's it's always going to be funny when when the guys who do that run up hit like him and Bruno when they don't score it looks the worst of all of them I yeah. like, I I will admit that it will always, always look the worst. It will detract, I'll say, from a game where I thought that he was actually for definitely in the first half. I think he was Chelsea's best player, and I thought he had a really good game overall. But look, it's always hilarious when he misses. I get it. I get it. I get that it's <laughs> funny. I get that it's funny when somebody misses with that run up. Feel like you're trying to find like a justification for the optics more than the performance. <laughs> I, I get that it was a bad penalty. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna sugarcoat that part. Yeah, yeah. I don't think you can. But are you at all a little more hopeful now about Chelsea getting out of their their losing streak? Does this give you some semblance of hope? Do you think it was still too close of a game to think this kind of turns things around? Um, and I'm, I'm even curious if you think the Rudiger news from today kind of affects the team. Yeah, you know, I think the Rudiger. I, I started with the Chelsea part. I, I think there's this is such a weird time now because in the season because I, I think that they're pretty safe 
especially from um, not making the top four at all. But I also think at the same time, they're pretty safe in third. And I, I, I don't know what I'm looking for that much in these, in these last few games of being totally honest, because the, the team kind of is what it is right now at this moment. They have some injuries. There's obviously like some players that you wish were playing and, and got to, and got to watch more than, more than others. But um I think it's been positive. A couple of things that like Loftus Cheek has been better than has been better the last uh, couple of months. And that's not something I expected to see. And overall, I think the team is, it kind of is what it is that I just, I just think they're not really close to city and Liverpool. And I, and I say this again, going back to what we talked about earlier with, with city and um, Jesus and Mares, like this, the depth, the depth of it really is the, I think the, part where the team is just so far off from from um Liverpool and uh and Manchester City I I think they'll feel good about this the starting 11 well uh, we'll see what it looks like next season obviously but that that's kind of where the team is and we've seen how the depth has really hurt them this season when they lost some of these players and and that kind of really rough like December period especially um from Chelsea kind of showed you where, that their depth is just really not good enough to, yeah. to challenge for the title right now. It's just not. Well, unfortunately, that problem actually gets harder um, with the contract yeah. issues. And yeah, with, yeah, with Rudiger. As well. Whatever yeah. whatever potential sales come in the summer, which could be, I feel like, more than people are even expecting, um, just as a byproduct of the, the situation at the club. I think it's something just to keep an eye on. Um, I'll be here for you through all that. Don't you worry. <laughs> yeah, that the team look. The team could look quite different next season. Yeah. Um, and and there were already, I think, even before the sanctions, you know, a couple players in the team that everyone kind of agrees doesn't really fit. And I'm not just talking about Lukaku, but like everyone kind of agrees. I, I would think even a couple of the attackers like is this really a fit like yeah. are we like, is this are we kind of hurting each other by by trying to make this work in terms of like the player and the, and the club? <laughs> so um it, that's kind of the that's still the issue i think for chelsea fair enough fair enough well let's take a quick break Ryan, we'll talk a little bit about la liga what's going on there do a little roundup from europe <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are back talking La Liga, everything Spanish football. We're going to start with the biggest game from the weekend in Spain. It was not a La Liga game. All but one La Liga game was played this this weekend. Uh, or Sorry, no, none slash no La Liga games, but one were played this weekend because it was the Kings Cup, the Copa del Rey final between Real Betis and Valencia. Real Betis winning on penalties courtesy of uh, Miranda, a boyhood fan of Real Betis winning their first trophy in 16 years which was in fact the Copa del Rey the last time they they won uh for those of you who are fans of Spanish football and specifically Real Betis uh Joaquin was around for both of those Copa del Rey Copa del Rey uh final wins Real Betis have won the Copa del Rey two times out of three and he was around back in 2005 for uh for the first time they're the second time that they won so Rian, i don't know if you got a chance to watch this game but um honestly real batiste were 
by far the better side. And I'm <laughs> basically based on form starting to get a little concerned about the safety of, uh, of one Atletico Madrid in fourth, um, just as a general rule of thumb. But I don't know if you got any thoughts you want to share about the Copa del Rey final. <laughs> no, no I, I was really happy for, um, I was really happy for Bellerin, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. Someone who I believe his his dad was was is a Batiste fan, correct? His dad his dad is a big big Real Batiste fan. I think he actually, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe he started in the youth system at Real Batiste. Or I mean, I know he started at at Barcelona, but like I thought he played there in the youth system. Maybe not. Maybe not. But uh, I'll I'll do some fact checking there. But but I was really (laughs) I was really happy for him, especially you know, seeing how the last like four or five seasons of his career has gone having those really tough knee injuries and um, still being able to come back and win a trophy for his boyhood club. Like him plus Joaquin, a beautiful Manuel Pellegrini as well. Um, a, a, a great story, honestly. It's yeah. tough, but at the same time, kind of tough for, for Yunus Musa in, in the penalties. Where uh, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna rag him at all for for missing a penalty. It yeah. is what it is. But but a tough a sad moment for him, of course. And, and totally. Jose, Jose Gaia, his his um, the emotions that he showed after the game as well. It's it just kind of I feel like this is an, another thing that I feel like we and I, I talk about we like as soccer fans in general, like yeah love to rag on these trophies and stuff went depending on the team that wins it but yeah these trophies obviously it's not the same thing for every single club but this is kind of why i feel like trophies matter in general right because at the end of the day like what's the point of all this if it's not about <laughs> like what's the point of like being a fan or the stuff is not if it's not yeah. like i want my team to win things like i, yeah. I celebrate like winning things and, and success like what's the point of it all um if, if if it's not like taking these things seriously when when a team wins it so totally really happy for uh for Batista, but then you also saw how much it meant for the Valencia players. So. Yeah, and I think the biggest thing too throughout the season for Valencia is Carlos Soler has really been their best player, right? He has been a machine that seemingly does not stop in midfield, and I think you saw too, even at the end of this game, like, they were all pretty devastated, because um, Valencia had their chances. They had one or two very clear chances, even though Real Batista were the better side, and I think it just goes to show you that the seeming decline that this club is on um, and don't know if there's an end in sight to that decline because Jose Gaia may not be there next season. We don't know. Um, Carlos Soler probably will, <clears throat> probably will, but who knows just given Valencia's financial situation, it's tough to say what of this team is really going to be kept together. Probably not all that much, quite honestly. Um, so Felt like a last hurrah in some ways. Not a hurrah that obviously went their way, but for Real Batiste, the last thing I'll say about Joaquin is uh, 16 years ago when they won the Copa del Rey in 2005, he uh, took a very famous picture. I'm not sure if you're aware of this picture, but it was basically him in 2005 standing butt-ass naked in the Real Batiste locker room, like giving a thumbs up, uh, essentially, um, to the camera. 
and he uh he replicated that, that picture it's <laughs> 16 years later and uh was posted on twitter by real batiste uh, of course with a, a little tastefulness but uh absolutely hysterical um and nothing nothing better that gives you all the good vibes in football than a nude picture than joaquin all over your head. <clears throat> <laughs> yeah yeah tasteful emphasizing the tastefulness there yeah em- uh, emphasizing that heavily <laughs> Uh, all right, Ellis. Well, from from there, shall we switch over to your beloved Catalan club, Barcelona, who are now after this weekend one 0 loss to Rayo Vallecano in a, a huge win for Rayo Vallecano, right? In terms of the relegation scrap, amazing. Um, Rayo Vallecano wins it one 0 That makes it three straight losses at home for Barcelona for the first time in their history. Um, that includes obviously the Europa League lost to Eintracht Frankfurt, right? But um, just I, I don't know what if Barcelona finish the season in the top four here, but kind of have a, a, a disappointing end to the season in terms of um, in terms of you know results here. Does it diminish the season at all for you? I, I'm talking about the possibility where they still finish the second or third, right? Like, does it change the overall feeling from the season for you? It's a good question. Um, I'm assuming this is a world where they don't fall out of the top four. So (laughs) caveat that Um, my answer is no, it doesn't really change the feeling that much. I think there's certainly going to be disappointment uh, without a doubt, but the reason why it doesn't change my feeling is that one of the biggest things that I saw Chavi change about this team is their ability to win big games. It's something that had not existed for years before. Thinking to which big games Coleman won, arguably his biggest game was drawing 1-1 at PSG when they're already down, right, 4-1 on aggregate, right? That isn't even a win. That That's just a draw. The other could be um i believe it was a way to napoli in the champions league group stages last season right so again that those are all kind of the the games that i can think of and then i don't even want to talk about Valverde. um but that's the biggest thing for me is the the ability to win big games and that clearly is something that you see in the peak of this team Right. And that's this team with the current players. There are going to be a lot of changes this summer. A lot of people are still going to leave and a lot of people are going to come. And I think that's a really, really important distinction that Chavi will hopefully get players that a we can afford and B that he wants. Yeah. And I'll keep saying it's like the most encouraging thing about this season, uh, even this season, looking into next season, I know it's still it's just underlying numbers, but still throughout this entire season, like Barcelona have the second best expected goal difference per ninety, and it's just about it, it's plus point seven eight, and Real Madrid is point plus point seven nine. So like they're still, I know points wise, fifteen points behind, but this team is really close and they've done all of this with Memphis Depay still being their top scorer in the league. <laughs> That's that is absurd. That's absurd. Wow. <laughs> I forgot about that. Like Memphis Depay is still the top scorer for Barcelona in the league. 
and yet they they're second to Real Madrid on in terms of goals scored and the amount of games that we've seen them just not be able to finish well after years of being carried it by the by unbelievable finishing from Lionel Messi like that that's kind of like been the subtraction this season um while the team has played much much better I think since Xavi has come in and and uh there's there's an obvious blueprint there but they have the big decisions to make this summer as well right what happens with Isman Dembele what happens with Frankie de Jong um obviously we expect Andres Christensen to come in like you said they still need to fill that team with players who can in the least be at the level um, that we've seen a team play for almost the entirety of, of Xavi's uh, reign so far. So I, they, they need to obviously add to this team, but all the positive signs are, are there for sure. It's, there's the intangibles that need to be kind of shored up during the summer. Completely agreed. And I think we're going to see a lot of those changes. Again, I think Barcelona are still in a similar problem or a similar situation to United, where it's like, okay, I have players, but who's going to buy them? Like, who's going to take, I I, I don't know, basically half Lung of Lai. the squad. Who's going to take Long Lay? Well, who's going to take? Who's going to take Long Lay? Who's going to take Umtiti? <laughs> who's going to take, um, at, at some point, right? I'm sure Jordi Alba will have to leave the team who what happens i'm not saying this happens this summer but Sergio Busquets, Jared BK like how do does this team phase them out because they will have to be i don't know um but those are questions that need to be answered sooner rather than later um and i don't think there's every answer right now but there's a lot of business to be done in Bar- Barcelona and i just want to highlight two very interesting things about um this team that i think tell a really really important story as to why they're in this position over the last three games. Barcelona have conceded the first goal in over 24 games this season. Rian, there have only been like 35 to 40 games this season played. So if you're conceding the goal, the first goal in two thirds of those games, you are bound to have to crawl yourself back. And that's a much, much more difficult task. So that's number one. Number two is I'm slowly and surely realizing how much we're missing on Sufati, but even as importantly, Pedri. Pedri in La Liga alone, we have not lost with him on the field. We have drawn twice, but we have 10 wins with Pedri on the field. Without Pedri, eight wins, seven draws, and six losses. That is insane. That is an insane difference. Like, think about that. Just eight games where you just fully lost while this player is not on the field. He is actually a linchpin in this team, and he is quite literally only 19 years old. That's how see split he is. like it, it's it's so rare to see splits like that for soccer players, especially. Yeah. Um, it's 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 absurd because right? obviously we know the game is more than one player, right? But when you're thinking about the system that Barcelona plays and it's and execution the level that um Pedri brings to it there isn't really there isn't really anyone who can get close to that level right now for the for the team and that's where you see this stark stark difference in in on off <laughs> um numbers look yeah. at their x their xg plus or minus per 90 with him with him 
on or off the pitch is uh is 1.3 wow <laughs> so that's literally over a goal a game just yeah. just by including him oh yeah about a goal a game yeah that's insane that's insane so that to me at least tells me how much we need Ansufati and Pedri especially fresh ready to go next season a season that will probably start early because of the world cup one that i think we will all hopefully have a fresh start too so with that that's my rant about my team what else do you want to talk about um uh, i'm i'm curious for your quick thoughts on um the champions league games yes uh, before, before we go into kind of roundup around europe can you give me your minute or less uh thoughts first with Let's start with Liverpool and Villarreal. Liverpool-Villarreal, I think, is going to be a very difficult game for Liverpool. I think it's definitely a game that they should expect, um, at least in the first leg for sure, um, to to win, right? It's going to be, I believe that one is going to be in Villarreal. So maybe a little more difficult. But, oh no, I lied. I lied, excuse me. It's at Anfield. Um, But my point stands in that that's a that's a big game. Liverpool are the favorites. Just do not underestimate Villarreal. Like I would be I would not be surprised to see a draw. I would be surprised to see a Villarreal win. I would be surprised to see Villarreal go through. But I would not be surprised to see Liverpool suffer throughout both legs. I really would not. Um that's yeah. my honest take. I, I don't. I don't know if that's not fair. No, um, completely. I know I, I, the suffering. Suffering is it, it's definitely what I'm expecting from yes, this game. Yes, uh, from both sides, honestly. Yeah. No, it's gonna. It's actually gonna be watching torture. Um, not not from like an entertainment standpoint, but oh. from like a pure footballing energy standpoint. Um, but <laughs> you have to. If you're an English or Premier League watcher or a Liverpool fan, you're listening to this right now. Think about the context for for Villarreal right? This is a team that has never been in the same semifinals of the Champions League before. You can talk about experience, you can talk about whatever, but this is a small town in Spain with a lot of heart and a lot of belief. And in a lot of ways, that goes well beyond just pure innate ability sometimes. I'm just saying, do not let your guard down. All right. And and now, <laughs> same thing, same question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Real Madrid, Manchester City. Okay, I'll try to keep this to less than a minute because I asked the same view. I told you this two weeks ago. I said, Rian, Real Madrid are absolutely going to win the Champions League. That opinion has not wavered one bit. In fact, it's gotten stronger since their win against Sevilla in, in La Liga. It's basically confirmed them as um, La Liga champions, which will likely happen this upcoming weekend. Manchester City are missing arguably two of their most important players in Cancelo and Kyle Walker. Cancelo maybe more so than Kyle Walker. Um, but I think that is absolutely going to be a detriment to them, especially when Real Madrid are going to look to attack uh, on the counter in the same way that they did against Chelsea and especially that first half of the first leg of the corner finals. I do not expect Manchester City to get through over the two legs. However, I think it is possible that you're looking at like a 2-1 victory for City. And God knows what happens at the Bernabeu. 59 seconds. <laughs> perfect. Perfect. All right. Now, Lovely. So we're ready to move on to the rest of Europe here, right? Where this past weekend, 
in France, we saw PSG win league on um, a goal from Lionel Messi, a great goal from Lionel Messi. Uh, weird celebrations afterwards with the fans kind of um, booing a lot of the players and, and it's not just the players, but I, I think this has come up a couple of times with PSG's fans where there's obviously a disconnect between the people that run the club and the fans right now. Um, a lot of it, I think, has to do with like the culture of the club being not just shifted, but almost like its roots being ignored by the by their owners. Um, just in terms of now, they're they're trying to become more of a, a brand, right? And and I think a lot of fans have not taken that well, especially recently when you look at the lack of perceived success that that was supposed to come with this huge culture shift as well, right? Yeah, but, yeah. Um, you had that. And then almost the, the same night, the rumors come out that Mauricio Pochettino is getting sacked <laughs> at the end, and and maybe Antonio Conte is looking to go. So a weird, weird, weird aftermath of winning a title, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you say? Yeah, I, I mean, this is what we expected of PSG. It's a revolving door of managers, of which no one really wants to be there, but the money is so good that it's hard to say no. That's that's what settlement PSG, money too, by the, the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes. To to Real's point, I'm not opening that can of worms, but I I completely agree um, that it was weird. It's bizarre. I I tweeted this out about a month ago, right somewhere in between when they were playing Real Madrid. Um, I forget if it was after the first or second leg. I do I do feel like two of the three front three could leave this summer. I'm not sure which combination, but I'm. I, I just don't think it's a sustainable wouldn't situation. surprise you. Would no, it? it wouldn't surprise <laughs> no, me. I wouldn't surprise anyone really. Yeah. Listen, if, if Messi wants out and someone's willing to pay, I'm sure that he could find a, a, a spot. Neymar has never been loved by the PSG fans it's outside of maybe the season they reached the Champions League final. Bappe seems to be 50-50 now on going to Real Madrid, but I would still kind of put money on him going to Real Madrid if I'm a betting man. So, I mean, there's your two out of three that I'm getting. But with that, Rian, forget about Ligue 1 for a second. Let's talk about the Serie A title race, an actual, real, solidified title race. The Bundesliga was wrapped up this weekend when Bayern beat Dortmund. Who is going to win Serie A? It's, it's really Milan the only one. Inter. Yeah, it's really the only one. I, I, don't, I don't know what year it is. I mean, Napoli really should be closer than this. They, they really drew, should. They 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 have blown so many games in the last few weeks. It, it's crazy. Um, I guess, One draw, I guess, two losses out of their last. Yeah, three. yeah. I mean, they were up two 0 against Empoli, and yep. conceded three times in the last ten minutes of the game. Uh, they they really should be close to this, especially because they started the season better than anyone else. And, and then don't, they don't really forget, really they blow the lead against Romo, which is probably arguably well, where it really, really just went downhill for them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, last few games getting one point and now they are seven points off of first place. Like that's, that's going to be where the title was lost for them really. Yeah. So um, I, I know they had a rough patch in the middle of the season where they were lose, missing a lot of players as well, but they were still, they're still in it in this last couple of weeks. And so I think that's going to be really disappointing for them to not be closer, but yeah, it's getting it's it's looking like potentially. And I know that <laughs> that Inter have a 
game in hand. And, and if they win their game in hand, they'll be a point above Milan. But, you know, it, it could, we could look back at that uh, Milan derby. It's a couple months ago where Olivier Giroud <laughs> just won it for them. And, and that could be the difference at the end of the season here. And um, as you said, this is the only title race we have in, in, in Europe's big five leagues right now. Yeah. So yeah. And well, I, I think I, Think oh, sorry. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> my bad. My bad. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that, but yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. You're totally right. My bad. My bad. Um, Obviously, I forgot about England for a second there, but I, <laughs> that one that one feels just like two teams plus the rest of the league. It was like a different yeah. league almost. <laughs> but um, No, no. I think I think Syria has been the most exciting one this season because there have been multiple teams in it um at different points and, and yeah pretty much been these three teams milan inter and napoli for most of the season um yeah that's kind of where if you're not watching the premier league and you have paramount plus i guess or <laughs> or a good stream um this is probably where this is probably where my attention is going to go for the last like month of the season here outside of premier league games definitely definitely i think everything else is wrapped up but if i had to pick there's a part of me that still, I, I really do think Inter have been the better side over the last, let's call it month. And I'm saying that irrespective of flukes, right? Because it's impossible to predict those. If I had to pick, I'm still going to pick Inter. I would love to see Milan though, win the league. I would what absolutely a story. love it. Yeah. Like truly, like over the last five years, an incredible turnaround from the depths of really, really poor financial, managerial, club operational point of view like everything was not going their way to turn it around like this would really be a story and, and it would be like a begrudging story too because they were taken over in 24 years ago by elliot management by a private yeah. city firm and they yeah. actually turned the club around beautifully and now they're they're in talks to be bought by i think it's some saudi firm um i think it's invest corp but anyway the turnaround, as you said, last four years, begrudging one for the for the um, for the hating private equity in football uh, people. Like it's it's a really tough one for us. Yeah. <laughs> it's, 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 they've actually done a great job. It's it's really it's really tough. Totally, totally. Well, I think that wraps up everything from the European Roundup. We wanted to extend it beyond, of course, what we usually talk about in England, and Spain. With that. We'll talk to you guys after the Champions League semifinals, and I cannot wait to break down exactly why Villarreal are going to actually surprise me and go on to win the Champions League. Um, <laughs> I, I actually think I would cry if that happened. But with that, we will talk to you guys later in the week. Thanks, guys.